So, morning, everyone. My two daughters, Louise and Ime, and I were very blessed a couple of weeks ago, over half term, to be part of the team of 60 men and women and children from this church who went to serve at the Jonas Centre in Yorkshire. The Jonas Centre, one of our mission partners, is a Christian charity that provides subsidised holidays for individuals, groups and families who might not otherwise get one. The group was led superbly, as it is every year, by Emma Coy, and our mission was to provide whatever support Simon and Joanna Eastwood, who run the centre, needed. That could be anything from painting fences, filling potholes, making curtains, doing the electrics. Something for everyone, the very skilled to the very unskilled, like me. One of the things I love a lot when I go up to the Jonas Centre is eating black cherry whim-wham ice cream from the Brymore Dairy nearby. I seriously love it, and I would sacrifice an afternoon of sightseeing anywhere in the area on the day off that we have from working to eat one, two, three scoops of it, with ease, I might add. Although I love this experience and it gives me a lot of pleasure, it's not the same kind of love that we shared as a group at the centre or that I think John is talking about in this short passage. To many, the thought of giving up your half-term to get covered in paint, work really hard in potentially all weathers, is not much of a holiday. But for the group, it was unanimously agreed that it was the perfect way to spend half-term, especially as the weather was kind and the scenery breathtaking. So why was this working holiday so wonderful and such a blessing to so many? I'm convinced it's because we all got to serve one another whilst serving the centre as a group. At one time or another, we all got to put the needs of others ahead of our own. That could have been in the preparing and cooking of a delicious meal in very hot weather, in the scrubbing and cleaning up of other people's paintbrushes, not a nice job, by babysitting in the evening, in clearing and washing up, entertaining children, guiding and helping the children work alongside the adults, or by just having a simple conversation with somebody. We all got the opportunity to love one another through service, and that is what is central to the joy of Christian fellowship and the gospel, love. So let's look a bit deeper at this type of love, because I think it's the kind that John is talking about in today's passage. If you've closed your Bibles, it's on page 1227 of the Church Bibles, And there's a two-sided handout, if that helps. So John starts here, as he often does in this letter, by reminding the readers of the truth of the gospel from the beginning. He reminds them that despite the efforts of the Gnostics, a movement trying to pull believers away from the faith at the time, that the fundamental gospel truth remained unchanged. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Verse 11. Loving one another, John has already told us earlier in the letter, is a preeminent virtue of the gospel. And with this mutual love in mind, John goes on in verses 12 and 13 to contrast the behavior of Cain in Genesis. John doesn't mince his words here as he highlights the presence of evil at work in the world saying, do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. John wants the readers to recognize the evil force 
that is at work in the world. And he goes on to explain that Cain killed his brother Abel not because he was wicked, but because of the very opposite. Cain killed Abel because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. It was jealousy fueled by evil that lay behind Cain's hatred of Abel that led him to murder. Now, this Old Testament story reflects the very natural human cycle of jealousy, hatred, and murder, which was also behind the Jewish priest's demands for the death of Jesus. John uses Cain here as a reminder of what it is to be worldly, showing the readers at the time and us today what can happen when we seek the best for ourselves, disregarding the consequences that may have on others. And it's with this warning that John uses, us, uses to prepare us for the hatred that we are likely to experience from the world as a consequence of our faith. John is saying that we should expect to be regarded and treated like Cain treat, treated his brother Abel. Because it's the righteousness of others that makes us so painfully aware of our own immoral ways of living. And Jesus warns us of this very thing in John 16, verses 18 to 19, where he says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, that is why the world hates you. You see, the world and its values embody its spiritual condition, which is death. Jesus and the gospel embody life in all its fullness. Becoming a follower of Christ is nothing less than a resurrection out of spiritual death into eternal life. As Jesus says in John 5, 24, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Really, words aren't adequate to describe the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. In him, we are free from death in the spiritual sense and have eternal life through his righteousness. As we know very well, evil exists in the world right now. We've seen it really close at hand over the last few weeks. But in the face of that evil... We have also seen in the news and on social media how love can eclipse that evil. Incredible acts of sacrificial love and compassion have been shown by unexpected people in unexpected places. And John says here in verse 14, we know we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. Proof of life is that we love each other. Life flows from love. God created us to share his love. Evil and death exists for now, but it can be overcome by love because God is love and God in Christ has overcome death. This is the kind of love, sacrificial love, not the love for things of the world like black cherry wimwam ice cream that Jesus embodies on the cross. It is this love that John is calling us to imitate. Look at verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, 
and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So if we know what love is through what Jesus Christ has done for us, what does it look like for us to love like Jesus loved? To love like Jesus is self-giving. It is sacrificial love, and it will cost us. It may cost us time. It may cost us money. It may cost us respect. It may cost us standing. But we need to remember that ultimately it cost Jesus his life. Christ came to show humanity what God's love looked like. He showed us repeatedly that God's love saves whoever we are, however sinful, desperate, or overlooked. He meets us right where we are at our point of need. It was his purpose from the very beginning to sacrifice himself for us. His life and death was and is the most powerful force in the universe. It is a never-ending, eternal love. To love like Jesus is not always convenient. Loving sacrificially is never going to be convenient. There is never going to be a good time to give up your needs and wishes to fulfill those of another. You can't plan for when you may have to give up parts of your life to care for a sick relative or friend. It's not the kind of love you can fit around the rest of your planner. Loving like Jesus loves is life upturning, it's disruptive, it's life changing. Loving like Jesus won't always be reciprocated. You may not get any return or any thanks for what you do. Jesus' love extended to all the deserving, the undeserving. In the 12 steps for recovery used in Alcoholics Anonymous, one of the steps is to make amends to those you've harmed during your drinking. The recovering alcoholics are warned that their apologies may not be acknowledged, let alone accepted. But they're to make their amends anyway out of the gratitude they have for the sobriety they've been given. But the truth is, being unacknowledged and unaccepted is really hard, and it's really painful. And Jesus is still unaccepted and unacknowledged by millions of people worldwide. To love like Jesus is unconditional. Jesus doesn't expect anything in return. He loves us when we're faithful, reading our Bibles, praying to him daily, doing good deeds. But he also loves us when we're short-tempered, unkind, thoughtless, and a million miles away from his will. He loves us not because we're attractive, not because we share an interest with him. He doesn't even love us because we love him back. He loves us just because he loves us. His love is unconditional, and it's still abundant, even when we get it catastrophically wrong. This is how we are called to love, not because someone deserves it, but because we are loved. Loving like Jesus doesn't keep score. How easy is it, let's be honest here, to do somebody a good turn, and then a few hours, days, or even weeks later, expect to use it as leverage for getting something you want? I let you play golf last Sunday, so now it's my turn. I deserve to have the afternoon out with my friends. Or I mowed the lawn last week. It's your turn this week. I'm going to put my feet up. 
Loving like Jesus is active. It says in verse 18, let us not love with words or tongue, but with action and in truth. Jesus spoke of and lived by the truth. There was never any spin or angle with him. How clearly do our actions say that we love others? Are we as generous as we should be with our time, our money, our possessions? Do we talk about it a lot and seem to be really loving when in reality we're doing and giving very little? Is the extent of our loving just coming to church and hearing about loving others? Or are we actually living it? Loving like Jesus is loving abundantly. One of the biggest problems we as Christian face is dealing with God's overwhelming abundance of love for us. I know it sounds a bit paradoxical, but at the heart of the gospel is a God who gives us more than we ask or could ever even desire. He gives to us in immeasurable abundance, never counting the cost. He came that we should have life and life abundant. Our cup runneth over with all that he gives us. The scriptures testify from the very beginning to a God who blesses richly and abundantly those who don't necessarily deserve it, namely us. And it's this abundance that makes us recoil. It's unpalatable because it shows up all our flaws, all our weaknesses, all that we try and hide from ourselves. We much prefer the concept of earning or receiving something based on our own performance, a way that doesn't remind us that we don't measure up and that we can't possibly be as good as we would wish or hope to be. This abundant and unconditional love that we receive makes us feel weak and helpless. It makes us want to run. And it's what led Cain to kill Abel and the Jewish leaders to condemn Jesus to death. But true love for us is not only embodied in the laying down of our lives for our brothers and sisters in the sense that Jesus did. Very few of us will get the opportunity to display that kind of love. But what we are called to is a willingness to surrender those things that we value in our lives, like our time, our money, our possessions, to enrich the lives of other people around us. We surrender them not because we are good, but because we know Jesus' love for us revealed in his supreme sacrifice. And if we truly love him, this must be evident in our love for others. John highlights this in verse 17. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? So the question is, how do we love like Jesus loved? I have a few simple and practical ways. Firstly, we can love like Jesus loved by surrendering and abiding in Christ with the help of the Holy Spirit. We simply can't do loving like Jesus on our own. We must abide in Christ by faith in the handing of our lives over to a God who loves us. Love is the first fruit in the fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians 5.22. God will give us the ability to love like he loves through the Holy Spirit. Our good works are always to God's glory and not ours. 
Secondly, we can love like Jesus loves by forgiving. Jesus forgives us for every sin. We need to forgive others and we need to forgive ourselves. Forgiveness is a hard choice and it's not just a feeling. But Paul says in Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. We can love like Jesus in sacrifice, putting others' needs ahead of ours. Remember, these gestures can be as small as letting someone go in front of you in a queue or not arguing with someone about their opinion on something. I know that one is a tall order. It says in Romans 12:1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. We can love like Jesus loved in prayer. Praying for others is an act of unconditional love, especially when we pray for our enemies or for people that we don't like or approve of. We are asking God to bless others and work in their hearts. Fourthly, fifthly even, we can love like Jesus loved by telling others about God. Go into the entire world and preach the gospel to all creation. Mark 16, verse 15. It's not always easy, but it is always loving to share what we have received with others. And lastly, we can love like Jesus loved, by being humble. We need to right-size ourselves and see others as God sees them. Recognize that everyone is made in God's image. Everyone and all deserve to be treated with dignity and respect. You can love the person that is right in front of you. You don't need to wait for the perfect opportunity to display your love to the most deserving person or cause that you can find. There is so much pain and loneliness in the world, sometimes just smiling and connecting with the person on the checkout in the supermarket, or speaking to someone at the school gate, bus stop or coffee shop is enough. Remember their name, in case you bump into them again. You may have changed the whole outlook that they had on their day just by acknowledging their very existence. When I was volunteering a few years ago at the Joel Project in Kingston, I was particularly struck by a man, sadly I can't remember his name, and you'll see the irony in that shortly, (laughs) who was overwhelmed that an elderly volunteer with whom he felt he had absolutely nothing in common with She remembered his name from one week to the next. Sometimes it's the smallest of loving gestures that can transform opinions and lives. So what is in this loving like Jesus for us? What do we get? First, John says in verse 14, we move from death to life when we love each other. That's pretty amazing, to move from death to life. In verse 19, he says that when we love as Jesus loved, we will know that we belong to the truth. When we love others in action in truth, we can be assured that we too belong to that truth. In verse 20, he goes on to say that we can rest even when we know that our hearts are not always pure. 
When we continue to sin, we are not defined by our sins, but by God's righteousness. God is greater than our sin. Because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8 Jesus did all this for us, knowing full well what we're like. He wasn't kidding himself that after he had died for us, we would all become perfectly like him overnight in gratitude. He knows us and he still loves us. The things we lose when we love like Jesus are things that only give us temporary pleasure, time, money, possessions. But what we gain through God's spirit living in us is eternal life and the freedom and courage to be a better person than we ever imagined we could be. Loving like Jesus is life-giving. It's sacrificial, it's unconditional, it's abundant, it's active, and it doesn't keep score. It will often be unreciprocated, is undeserved, untimely, inconvenient, and disruptive. But it is life-giving, not only to those that we love, but to us. It is life-giving to us. For we know we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. Verse 14. Proof of life is that we love each other. If we want to love like Jesus loved, then we must put ourselves aside, ignore our needs and wants, and focus on those of another. Just as Jesus gave up his wants and needs when he laid down his life for the sake of us. But God knows that this is completely impossible for us in our own strength. So he provides us with all that we need to love like he loves by his spirit. It's by the spirit that we can love sacrificially. Love the unlovable, forgive the unforgivable, and meet the needs of the undeserving. All praise and glory goes to him. For he is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen.